Well, I want to welcome everyone here and welcome those joining us over Pal Talk. It has been, uh, seems like forever, it's been almost a month since we were together and uh, we've gone through quite a lot. Um, uh, today's service is different. We're trying to get back into the uh, kind of a swing of things. It's still a bit weak. And uh, and so we're just kind of transitioning back into normalcy a bit. And so I appreciate and would appreciate your, your patience with me here today. There may be a time I might have to uh, take a seat, so to speak, but uh, we'll try to get through it here. No, I, I, I may, I'm okay right now. I'm okay right now. But I want to welcome you. It's a beautiful Sabbath day. Uh, we do have sunshine. It's so nice to see the sun. And... Uh, uh, my kids are here, and and uh, I wanted to take some time, and I've been putting kind of a testimony together uh, of some things that I have <clears throat> learned through this ongoing experience, and I wanted to share it with you, um, and I'll get more into the reasons why as we go along, but uh, uh, it's it's uh, rather emotional. At times it will be, and uh, but God is teaching, always teaching us uh, about His character, about love, and about uh, the mission of Christ, and and uh, what He really wants for us. And and I want to say it doesn't matter how long you've you've lived or how long you've known the Savior. You're always learning in the school of Christ. And, uh, you know, I've been pastoring since, uh, well, officially since 2000, so, you know, almost 14 years and been in ministry for a little bit longer. And and God still has lessons for every one of us. And He's taught me some really important things. And, and not just that, uh, as we go along... Um, he has filled a void that was missing. Um, and uh, so I want to share some of these things with you, hopefully as an encouragement to you, and, and, uh, uh, and to let you know that when John says God is love, he meant what he said. Um, and so before we get to started here, let's have a, a word of prayer. And so I invite you to bow your heads with me here. Father in heaven, we, we thank you so very, very much for this holy Sabbath day and the opportunity that we have to come here and, and worship thee and to spend time together and uh, on, your, on your holy day, a, a time that you've promised to bless us and we need your blessings and we appreciate your blessings. And we pray for the Holy Spirit to be poured out upon us and to send angels from heaven so that we can get a taste of heaven now. And uh, Father, we thank you so much for Jesus, who you, you gave because you loved us. You loved the world, and you gave your Son. We pray that you will forgive us. We claim his blood that he shed for us. And we ask that when we leave this place, we will be much closer to Thee than we ever have been before. I pray that You give me the words to speak that will touch hearts, 
and uh, Lord, draw all closer to Thee, and may they bring glory to Thee. I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. One of the things I wanted to do, and, and the reason I I wanted to share this with you is because I, I get questions, of course, um, people uh, calling me and uh, wanting to know how I've been, I appreciate that so much, and and uh, emails and and uh, just any communication to see how I'm doing. Uh, some wanting to know what happened. <laughs> you know, not everybody knows what's going on, and so I I felt the need to. Well, I'm just going to go through it. So uh, I asked my uh, family to, you know, be patient. They they know a lot of this. It will be just kind of uh, you know going back over some things, um, and, and maybe many of you. No, you know bits and pieces and parts, and and uh, and so I ask for your indulgence a bit as well, um, and th- and that's why I just to kind of get it out there, and and everybody will know, <laughs> and uh, I, I don't have to, you know, I could copy and paste stuff to people, you know, <laughs> I suppose, you know, but uh, it it, uh, it it is appreciated the 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 care and the love that I've. I've felt from so many people, people I don't even know. Uh, it's, it's truly amazing. One of my favorite verses in all the Bible is Psalms 46.10. And Psalms 46.10, it says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. And I, I guess it's one of my favorites because it lets me know that I can, I can rest. I can uh, be assured that our loving Creator is in control. It's, it's God that rules the earth, you see. And He rules it not like men rule it. He rules the earth with love and with mercy. And I can rest in His loving arms as He takes all my burdens and He takes all my cares upon Himself. And so He says to me, He says, Be still and know that I am God. And that's one of my favorites because it it just, it tells me, this scripture tells me how awesome our God is. that He truly has a personal care for me. And He says, be still. Now it's often been said that it is when a crisis occurs that a person's true character is revealed. And the old saying. And this is true. Uh, I believe it to be true. And maybe more so in a spiritual sense uh, as well. Things happen to each of us out of the blue that test us, uh, that tests, tests our resolve, tests our profession. You know, we profess to be a certain way, a certain type of person. It tests our faith, doesn't it? Are we really who we claim to be? Do we act upon what we profess? Is our faith real? Or is it, you know, a nice hope, but with little substance, you know? 
a point does come in every person's walk where they will have to answer that question between them and God alone. So I want to fill in some of the blanks of what I have and am experiencing concerning the, these health issues that, that have hit me. And it turns out that it has been more than a physical health issue. Um, it's also been an examination of my spiritual health as well. And I would guess that most anyone who has come, you know, close to death, you know, you hear about that a lot of times, uh, would probably automatically take count of their life and their actions, you know. Uh, you know, the my life passed before my eyes, kind of a, uh, a reaction. But my eyes have been opened up in a way really not like before. And it's very interesting. So let me start with the physical issue and I'll add the spiritual as we go along. For the past few years, I've been dealing with, I say past few years, not a whole lot of years, uh, you know, a few years, two, three years maybe at the most, been dealing with an elevated blood pressure issue that I just couldn't resolve. My wife and I changed our lifestyle a couple of times or more. Uh, you know, eating right and all. We lost weight. We felt better, of course. But I, I still had that blood pressure thing that didn't want to budge. And no matter what I did or what I tried, it wouldn't budge at all. And this made me think that there was something acute, you know, something chronic. I would mention it to Deb, you know. I don't think it's, you know, uh, the normal type thing. I think there's just something that's wrong that's causing it to be elevated. You know, like uh, I've had back issues. I've had back issues. I had an injury when I was a teenager that's left me in pain most of the rest of my life as far as my back is concerned. And so maybe now it had reached a point that it affected my blood pressure, you know. Or I, I had a tooth that uh, was just getting worse and worse. has been bothering me, and it, it, it needs to be extracted now, and that, that may be what's been causing it, you know, for a couple of years. Or uh, my failing eyesight that everybody knows now is getting worse and worse that needs corrected, you know. Uh, so I made a great mistake, and I just kind of monitored the, the blood pressure, but left it at that. So... You know, the stage was set a few years ago uh, for a potential life ender, really. And in that time, in that time of ignorance, <laughs> God showed me grace, which He does for us all. We, we can ignore certain things and we can do things out of ignorance, but God still provides grace for us. Like Paul says in Ephesians 2.8, we're familiar with it, for by grace are ye saved through faith. <laughs> and that not of yourselves, because it's a gift of God. And so no matter the stupid or, or ignorant choices we may make in our life, God gives us the gift of salvation freely. We can't earn it by our choices, but we sure can lose it by our choices, which is an interesting thing. 
And the question for us is, what do we do when offered the gift of the Son of God? And that's what the whole, I believe, friends, sincerely, deep in my heart, that is what the whole great controversy between good and evil comes down to. What do you do with Jesus? God asks each of us, do you love my son? And that's the answer he's seeking. Do you love my son? Now we can go through all the scriptures, and I'm not saying doctrine's not important, and I'm not talking about, you know, the sloppy agape, any of that. I'm talking about the true love of God, agape. What are you going to do with my son? So I can make many ignorant mistakes in my life choices that God will wink at because He's concerned with my decision about His Son. See, And I made many mistakes concerning my health and it is my belief that because of my reaction to His question about His Son that my ignorance is taken into account. I believe God winked at it and He showed me grace. Because God loves me. And then there is well let me just say it's it's not a forensic action either on his part because sometimes the picture is painted of God as being a tyrant or a, someone who needs to be appeased and and so when I say God loves me God does love me the father loved us so much he sent his son And he didn't do it easily. That wasn't an easy decision for him to make. Would it be for us? No. But he does love us and he loves me. And and it's not a forensic action on his part, but God truly loves and cares for me and for each of us. And as I mentioned, John, you know, 1 John 4, 7 and 8, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. That's where it originates. That's its source. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. And it may sound strange, you know, someone who's been uh, walking with the Lord for so many years and and it's almost like a new discovery. (laughs) How much God loves me, you know. I mean, I knew before, but... um, but it's truly, it's truly a remarkable experience to be totally assured, maybe is the way I should put it, with no doubts whatsoever that God loves me. About a year ago, or just under, uh, I began having headaches. Some would be migraines, but mainly just normal type of headaches, you know, but several days a week. And you start the procedure, you know, where you self-diagnose what could be causing this. And again, you know, I knew my eyesight wasn't the best and and needed checked. And then there's that back issue I have, you know, that always comes up. And, And the tooth, maybe some added stress, you know the routine. I think we all kind of do it, you know, we self diagnose the thought of blood pressure, 
being a culprit, never really played into it as I was monitoring it, and at times it was elevated even more so than before, but it it really didn't alarm me. Um, and, and and to go along with that, you know, I got mixed signals too from different sources that said that it wasn't high, and some said it was on the verge of high, but still okay, you know. Um, but uh, I want to tell you, friends, be careful who you choose to be an authority in your life. <laughs> Jesus said in John 5, He said, For as the Father hath life in Himself, verse 26, For as the Father hath life in Himself, so hath He given to the Son to have life in Himself, and hath given Him authority to execute judgment also, because He is the Son of Man. And so, you know, we read these verses and, and, and I see that Jesus is the ultimate authority over our life. And it is to Him I am to depend to lead me in the righteous way to live. He is to be my authority in all things, especially when it comes to my spiritual health, but physical health too. And I'll admit that I can do better at this. I think if we are all honest with ourselves... Each one of us can say that. And uh, and I'm glad that my judgment lies in His hands ultimately. <laughs> because I trust Him. I know He's going to always do right. And then I'll have to deal with the consequences, see. So that's where my predicament stayed for quite some time. The headaches would come and go a migraine here and there that I would have to deal with. Usually it would just lay me out. And the only thing that helped me was uh, ibuprofen. It's like I was eating that, like candy almost. Which turned out to be a bad thing. I mean, I knew it really wasn't good anyway. I didn't... But uh, sometimes when you're in such pain, you, you just got to have some relief. And... Uh, but it turned out to be a bad thing concerning my bloody nose and the kidney issues. and you know I tried all the natural stuff. Well, I can't say all, but a lot of the natural stuff to no avail. Um, just another sign that I was headed toward a battle with the grave and not heeding the road signs along the way. And I might add here that when, you're, when your income... Uh, is low or it's fixed and, and dependent upon, like we are, you know, offerings. And you, you tend to accept that things are just the way that they are. And, and little effort is given to making a change more than maybe just some preventative stuff. Now, you know, like we, we could have been checking out, let's say, insurance or, and I, I had started to, <laughs> you know, looking at it. It's so expensive and, you know, but. Or, or even saving for a regular checkup or something like that. We, we always try to save what we can. And, and uh, like I said, we, we had began to do some of that. I mean, uh, Deb had some dental issues that we, we just got taken care of before, you know, this happened. And, and, and uh, then I was scheduled to have my tooth extracted. And then we were going to go step by step on to the other things, you know, getting our eyes checked and doing those things. So we kind of started down that path. But some things just can't wait, can they? Jesus said in Matthew 24, verse 45, He said, Who then is a faithful and wise servant, whom his Lord hath made ruler over his household, to give him meat in due season? 
Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Verily I say unto you that he shall make him ruler over all his goods. And Jesus is saying faithfulness in all things, see? In all things. And I found that I wasn't being very faithful in, in that aspect when it came to our physical health. Because there are things that, even small things that we could have been doing, saving up, doing these things, checking into stuff, see? And God would have rewarded my faithfulness. Yeah. But He showed me grace in my ignorance. And I praise Him for that. The faithfulness in all things, including the smallest of items, will help round our character into the likeness of Christ. And like I said, I was failing when it came to personal health issues that at the time I believed were not so grave an issue. <laughs> I had kind of a false sense of security, I guess maybe you could say. And I settled that some things were out of my control. And that's easy for us to do, isn't it? We say, well, that's out of our control. We can't do anything about it. But there are some small things you can do. And I will say that with Jesus, there is nothing that is out of control. <laughs> See? So... On March 6, 2014, this year, we were helping our son Joshua with some stuff. And, and then the plan was to sit down and get a bite to eat together. <clears throat> have a good time, kind of relax and have a little social time together. We don't see him uh, that often anymore. It's, you know, your kids get married, they're on to their own life and stuff. <laughs> and upon entering the restaurant around 7 that, that evening, I went to the facility... And just when I was washing my hands, a stream of blood came out my nose and into the sink. Now, to say I was startled uh, just doesn't come close. You see, I don't get bloody noses at all, ever. And this wasn't just drops of blood like maybe, you know, most people have told me who, who do get bloody noses from time to time. That's a few drops of blood, and you know, this wasn't that way. It was a stream of blood. No pain involved whatsoever. Just a solid stream of blood that I could not get to slow down, let alone stop. I became somewhat uh, panicked. I think that's maybe a natural reaction, and uh, couldn't understand what was going on. I tried texting my wife several times as I was sure she noticed I'd been gone a good while. No response. Turns out her phone was in her purse. I called my son to tell him to let her know that I had a bloody nose. He probably chuckled at that. Okay, Dad. <laughs> you know. What's the big deal? Bloody nose. And that's the way I was. I'm like, what's going on here? You know. After close to maybe, you know, 15, 20 minutes, it did seem to slow down to a trickle. Kind of stopped. And again, here comes that self-diagnosis, you know. Well, it's been a bitter winter and the air is really dry. Yeah, that must be it, you know. <laughs> so I returned to the table with a rag in my hand and we settled into order and have a relaxing time together. But this dumb nose decided that it wasn't finished getting my attention and began bleeding profusely again. This time, though, I wasn't feeling very well. 
and I suggested to my wife that we better leave. So with a bloody rag in my hand, we, we left the restaurant. And as we headed down the road, I had a bad feeling that this could be more serious than I was thinking. You see, the memory of my dad getting a bloody nose just before they found that his heart had two clogged arteries filled my mind. Surely I wasn't having a heart issue. That's the thought that was going through my head. I mean, there was no pain involved. That's, that was strange to me. Uh, no pain involved with this bloody nose. But I remembered that dad didn't have any pain with his either. And my dad never got a bloody nose. See, that's, that was one of the things that, that kept coming up my mind. So the suggestion was that we stop by the hospital. And then those thoughts go through your mind again, you see. It, this is where that poor, no insurance, how do we pay mentality all too often comes in. You know, but sometimes you have to pay or you will pay. You know, but it's still not easy. So my wife took me to the closest hospital. Up here it was uh, IU Arnett, I think is the name of it. And I checked into the ER and I sat in the waiting room. Nose still bleeding and wondering what in the world was going on. And then it just stopped. I didn't really do anything. It just stopped. Bleeding just stopped. I still had no pain. Though I was feeling woozy because I think I'd swallowed, you know, It'll make you sick, nauseous, you drink, drinking blood, you know. So my wife and I considered whether to go home or just get it checked out. And, and like I said, it really is, it really is a hard decision. You know, when you don't have the money or insurance, this is what you go through. And I decided to go home and play it by ear. Yeah, well, we decided, my wife and I decided, well, let's just go home. And that didn't last very long. Upon arriving at home, my wife suggested that I check my blood pressure. Now, I never even thought about the, about blood pressure. I mean, I'm not sure why. Is that it seemed an obvious thing to do? Um, so, upon arriving at home, I sat in the recliner and checked my blood pressure, and the the result shocked me. I was rather stunned. My blood pressure was incredibly high, like death's door high. <laughs> and, I, you know, and, and, and here's something I'll add. For these last few years that I've been having elevated blood pressure, I thought that our, our uh, monitor, the blood, little wrist blood pressure monitor, was faulty. You know, this is what you think, you know. That can't be right, you know. So here... We check it, and it's outrageous. I said, that can't be right. No, it was right. In fact, it was a little low when we got to the hospital. It was higher. And so, here I am at death's door. I was stunned. We were both stunned, actually. And my wife said, we'd get to the hospital right now. We've got to go. So away we went, back out the door. I hadn't even been in the house five minutes. Uh, with greater uncertainty of what lie ahead. This time we went to a different hospital. We went to St. Elizabeth Hospital. As I told my wife that they have all my records. 
And I had to laugh at that one later on, is really, don't they all have our records anymore? <laughs> you know? And on our way, the nosebleed returned with full force. I walked into the ER with a bloody soaked rag and proceeded to inform them of my blood pressure. And they immediately wa- just whisked me right in as they feared I was having a stroke. And I'll tell you that the pain that I went through in their attempts to stop the bleeding, I wouldn't wish upon my worst enemy if, if I had one. My wife told me later that it was like more like torture, she said. And I can agree with that, let me tell you. I won't share all the details here, but let me say that a four-inch pair of needle-nose pliers pushed up one's nostril several times is not a fun way to enjoy an evening. And that's exactly what it was. It's like pulling the, uh, the old toolbox out. It's reminded me of something that James, we read in James 3.3. 3, he says, Behold, we put bits in the horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. You get certain situations like this, and you let the doctor do what he's going to do. You, you're trusting. They know what they're doing. <laughs> and buddy, he moved me around like a horse with a bit in its mouth. But the thing I couldn't understand about it was why were they trying to stop the bleeding before they got my blood pressure down? And this made no sense to me, you see. The blood would just find a different place to go, like into my brain somewhere. But no, they proceeded to try to find the area of the bleeding so that they could cauterize the wound and be done with it, see, that they thought. And the problem was that the doctor never found the wound. So he shoved what they call a tampon into my nose and told me I needed a better doctor than he. He actually said that. He said, uh, you, you need a better doctor than, than me. And I agreed. <laughs> you know. All the tampon did, friends, was push the blood down my throat, pushed it out the other nostril, pushed it out my right eye. Because it was building up. And as far as he was concerned, he was finished with me for the night. And I recognized that. But I had a different idea, and it didn't involve having this thing in my nose all night. So they brought in what they call the hospitalist, and he's the he's a doctor that works for the hospital directly that you know directs patients and things like that. And and uh, they brought him in to put me in what they call observation. This is a place I, I call limbo observation. It's a place of limbo where they place someone who's not ill enough to be admitted to the hospital, according to Obamacare, but is still too ill to be discharged, which is a liability issue for them, see. <laughs> so they put you in limbo, or which they call observation. And he asked me the same questions I'd been asked several times before as he filled in the chart to have me sent observation. You know, the repetitiveness in these places is amazing to me. Just make sure that everyone gets their part of the, the money, 
this guy spend no more than 15 minutes with me, wouldn't you say? Total, 15 minutes. And I received a bill from him for over $300. That's just is stunning. But that's the medical system we have, and it's outrageous, isn't it? And I want to take a little bit of time right here just to mention that this first hospitalist, uh, I think his name is Dr. Limble, was the first to to bring to my attention that um, that I was a lucky man, that I had not had a stroke, had an artery in my in my brain rupture. But uh, what was interesting was that he he said that God had a safety valve, and that safety valve was above my sinuses here in the front of my head. And that is what ruptured, and that's what's called that caused the uh, the nosebleed, and which makes sense because the blood flow was just incredible. And so uh, later on, there were two other doctors who actually uh, referred to it as the same thing. And I don't know if that's common in the field or not. I've never heard of it before, but uh, the, each one of them said uh, you're very blessed of God. Uh, God's safety valve blew. And saved you from having a stroke, and I, and thus you know the 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 title of the, my testimony, uh, God's safety valve, and uh, I I from that time on I said well praise God for uh, my bloody nose. I would tell people I thank God for a bloody nose, uh, and uh, and His safety valve. But upon arriving at observation, I politely as possible, considering my condition, uh, informed the nurse that the tampon they had in my nose was coming out, and that either I could do it, they could do it, or they could help me do it, but it's not staying in my nose. (laughs) I wasn't going to battle that battle all night, blood running down my throat and coming out my eye. And she, of course, was a bit flustered, but went and got the same hospitalist to see me. <laughs> and I said the same thing to him, and after a moment, he said he'd help me. So we removed the tampon, and let me tell you, a tremendous relief. Unbelievable relief. You see, my thinking was, usually, you get a bloody knee, when you fall down, you get some air on it, it scabs. Shoving something up your nose is just diverting the blood. And my thinking was, well, if I get some air up into my, my sinuses and stuff, I may get, get it scabbed up. Clawed it up. Because he, he could not find where it was coming from. See, So that was my thinking. It's just, you know, kind of a common sense thing. And the nosebleed stopped within about 15 minutes. And except for a very brief return, maybe a couple hours later, it's never returned, praise God. But this was just the beginning of a medical, I kind of call Mr. Toad's Wild Ride over the next couple weeks. So my wife and I, there we are, we're in observation. And we settled in for what I knew was going to be a long and probably restless night. But she stayed near to me. 
And my daughter was there. She was there as long as she could before she had to leave. And I was at the moment relieved that there was no more bleeding and could rest even if it was just for a few minutes. And it turned out that the the room that they put us in had a defective heater and we just about froze the rest of the night. You know, each time a nurse would come in, you know, they were monitoring me, of course. I'm in observation. <laughs> um, we'd request another blanket, tell them the heat wasn't working, they'd go over and turn the thermostat up. Well, that didn't do nothing. The heat wasn't working, you know. It just all seemed like a fitting in to a terrible evening. Now, of course, now we're going to freeze. <laughs> you know, putting us on the slab, you know. Psalms 30 and verse 5 says, Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. The next morning they moved us to another room <laughs> that had heat. That was our Thursday evening. March 6th. Early on Friday, I was seen by Dr. Weinstein. She was a hospitalist too, who was requesting that I see a specialist named Dr. Ronnie, a kidney specialist. Weinstein informed me that if I had a kidney issue, as I told them that uh, previously, my wife had reminded me, and I told the ER doctor that that uh, the Mayo Clinic had diagnosed me with Berger's disease in the mid-90s. That's a kidney disease. Um, she said that, well, if that's the case, then I could be admitted and pulled out of the limbo that I, that's called observation. <laughs> you see, when they put you in observation, they charge you by the hour. And depending on how long you're there, I mean, it may, that may be less expensive, but if you're there two days, like I was, it's more expensive than if they admit you. Because when they admit you, you pay for that room per day, and it's cheaper. And she says, if we're able to admit you, see, they would be able, better able to run more tests and do diagnosis, uh, diagnostics, and, and, and because I was a hospital patient then, see. And their suspicion was that the high blood pressure was being caused by my kidneys. Now, this is kind of a catch-22, you see, because they can't do anything with the kidneys because of the high blood pressure, but they were what was causing the blood pressure issue. But she assured me that they would be able to do some things and work on getting my blood pressure down. So, I mean, we had nothing else to go on. So later that morning, Dr. Ronnie, she stopped in to see me, and upon evaluation, found that the Mayo Clinic had not done a biopsy on my kidneys, which is what is necessary to confirm Berger's disease. So 20 years ago, when they diagnosed me up there at Mayo Clinic, they, they didn't do the, the biopsy. In the meantime, she couldn't do a biopsy until the blood pressure was brought down. So what she did was, she ordered a, an ultrasound on my kidneys to see what it would tell us. My wife had told me at one time during all this, she said that, that I had five different specialists seeing me. 
there's so many different doctors and nurses that came in, I you just lose track. Five different specialists. Now, I'm not sure that the ultrasound told us much about my kidneys, except that I was producing too much creatine, but there was a little mark at the top of the test that showed something in my chest. Now, see, this was something that wasn't in the plans. You know, sometimes in life, whether it's we're in study or... You know, studying God's Word, or we're just going through different times, uh, different things throughout the day, or our work, or whatever. Sometimes we're looking for something specific. And, and we're carried off into a tangent. We're carried off onto something unrelated. And this is one of those times. This is, this is one of these times here with this test. And it reminds me of an incident found in the Gospel of John. You know, chapter 3, where Jesus met a Pharisee. And it says, John 3, and verse 1 says, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now that always struck me. That always struck me as just so interesting that Jesus here cuts kind of to the chase, doesn't he? Nicodemus had many questions for Christ. He'd come to him by night in order to spend some time with him, you know, so nobody could see, of course. But, but he wanted to spend some time with him in seeking answers. And yet Jesus met him with what was really the burden of his needs. You see, Nicodemus came for one thing and he found something different. Something maybe unexpected, but something that was needed. What his soul really needed. And so the ultrasound on my kidneys told us little about my kidneys and Berger's disease, if I had it or not, but it pointed us to a spot in my chest that was caught by accident. And that raised the curiosity of Dr. Ronnie. Unexpected, see. Of course, I didn't know this at the time. I mean, I just went through the ultrasound. I was sent back to observation to await results. You know, wait, that's what you do a lot in the hospital. (laughs) Now, I want to say here that at this time, we're still in a bit of shock at what was going on. It's amazing how your life can change in just moments. And so we still are in, in some shock. I was having a hard time coming to grips with it, and I know that Deb was really having a hard time of it all. Dr. Weinstein was working on my blood pressure issue and Dr. Ronnie was working on my kidney issue and we were kind of in a state of grief, not knowing if I was close to death or not. I will tell you that I was feeling close to death at that time. I mean, I I wasn't ready to die. How many people 
would readily admit that they're ready to die. I believe there was more for me to do and to live for. So, for the moment, I hung on to that, but I did begin to reason with the Lord at that time about my future. Remember earlier I'd said, you know, you you come to that point and every person will in their life where they've got to answer a question from God. I prayed like I never prayed before. Now that's interesting because I've been praying for years. <laughs> and for a while it seemed as though the Lord wasn't hearing me. And that really bothered me. I mean, not in an angry type way, but it really disheartened me like nothing ever has. Job says in Job 7 verse 11, he says, Therefore I will not refrain my mouth. I will speak in the anguish of my spirit. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. And this is where we get into more of the spiritual aspect of all this. I was heartbroken at the thought that the Lord was not hearing me. Or I thought He was not hearing me. And as Job says here, I opened up and I let it all out to the Lord. You know, I went through all the sorrows, the pain, the reservations, you know that we have, the the fears that I was experiencing for myself and for my family. I went back over my life and rehearsed my walk (laughs) from the first day that I met Jesus. I went down, you know what we call Romans Road, concerning sin, you know, the gift of forgiveness. I meditated on all I've learned in my studies of salvation. Kind of a road to Emmaus with the Lord. You know? And though I had my family with me for love and support, it was actually one of the loneliest times in my entire life. In, I guess you'd say, a spiritual sense. It reminded me of something. You know, later on I was was contemplating that. I was putting this together. In Genesis 32, we have the experience of Jacob. It says, Jacob was left alone. I think we gloss over that. Jacob was left alone. And there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh, and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint, and he wrestled with him, and he said, Let me go. For the day breaketh, and he said, I will not let thee go. 
which is very interesting. <laughs> How Jacob could have power, <laughs> you know. I can explain that. Jacob had no power, but Jacob had faith. And Jesus said, if you have faith of a mustard seed, you can move mountains. He said, I will not let thee go except thou bless me. Now that may sound selfish, but I assure you it's not. Because God wants to bless us. <laughs> and we know this as the Jacob's test, you see. And though I thought that the Lord had left me all alone, I decided that I would still wrestle with him through his word and vowed my heart that I would not let him go till he blessed me. For you see, there's nothing that I can do to merit heaven. But I can still exercise faith in his word. And that's what I did. Like Jacob. For the next few days. That's what I did. Not with presumption. Um, I don't believe. With presumption in my heart. But with much trembling, really. And hope. That like Job, God would hear my cry. Now Deb had left the observation room to meet Josh. Later she told me she just had to leave. It was all just too overwhelming for her. She didn't want, to, want me to see her cry. And I was, for a time, physically, I was by myself. And that's when the door came open and about a dozen people came rushing in. Nurses, doctors, secretaries, you name it. It was all a blur of activity. And I was startled. Didn't know what was going on, but you kind of get the feeling, boy, something serious here. What's going on? And that's when Dr. Abujadi introduced himself as a pulmonary specialist and proceeded to explain what was going on. I will say, it's rather interesting. The first doctor that, the ER doctor when we went in, was the only American, I would say, well, I don't want to say American, but non-foreign doctor that I've had in all of this. And the only reason I bring that up is because of communications. They're all very good doctors, but it's hard to communicate with them. <laughs> it's just difficult. They have real thick accents and it just it's just an added thing that's just, just tough. And 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 he explained to me the best way he could, you know, I mean with the accent and everything. Now what was going on? You remember that ultrasound I had on my kidney, it picked up a little speck. And that little speck that it picked up in my chest was really a very large body of fluid that had accumulated and they believed had collapsed my right lung. And he was there to drain the fluid if he could. Now, remember I talked about you go in for some things, you think you're 
you're checking out some things again, something and something unexpected happens, doesn't it? I was shocked by this, but it didn't make begin to make sense to me because I'd recently been experiencing a loss of breath after doing just so little things. And I'd mentioned it to Deb. Deb had said, why are you out of breath? I'm like, I don't know. you know. But reasoning at the time that, well, it's that bitter cold air from the brutal winter we were experiencing. you know. So after explaining the procedure, Dr. Abujadi proceeded to run a line through my back and into my chest and drained over a liter and a half of fluid from me before I began to experience some pain. He stopped removing the fluid and and he made the comment that he was surprised by the type of fluid, specifically the color. Well, that's not always good to hear, is it? When your doctors are surprised. He told me that a normal color they see is yellowish, like that of urine, but this was more like darkened blood, a dark reddish-brown color, and that concerned him. You see, they were unsure what this meant, as it was uncommon. That's not good to hear either, uncommon. (laughs) My wife reminded me at some point that it always seems that such things happen to me. (laughs) Just for some... For some reason, I'm always different when it comes to health issues. Nothing's normal when it comes to me, so I guess what she was saying is that I'm special. (laughs) And she's right. It never seems easy when it comes to me. It's nothing normal. So they were very interested in this fluid, and and they were determined to, to test it for all kinds of things, as it was something they didn't run into, you see. Yay me, you know. Interesting note about this, though. I I received a message from an acquaintance that told me, and he was monitoring, you know, things that I was posting about uh, tests and stuff and fluid. And, and he said that uh, when he heard about that, this fluid that was drained from my chest, He said it reminded him of the fluid that ran from the sight of Jesus when he was pierced. He was thinking about that. He said it did, it was water and blood, we know, when pierced. And it got me, it really got me thinking about that. That, That's rather interesting. I don't know if it's the same type of, you know, water and blood, but but, uh, it did make me wonder because the water and blood that did come from Jesus was would have been frothy like what they pulled out from me. And similar in that respect anyway. Just an interesting thought. I never even thought about it until he brought it up. And I thought, that's an, that's, that is interesting. Because it, all the suffering he went through, that fluid did accumulate in his chest and side. Just an interesting thought to throw in there. Later, Dr. Weinstein came into my room and said that the pulmonary issue was enough reason to get me admitted to the hospital. And the next morning they moved me into my own room on the third floor. 
I felt like I'd achieved something. <laughs> the next few days were spent waiting. Waiting for word about test results. Waiting for doctors. Waiting for nurses. Waiting to get blood drawn. Waiting for pills. Waiting for food. Waiting for visits. <laughs> waiting on the Lord. And I can say that it's a real test to wait on the Lord. Especially in a situation like that. Waiting to hear something. The psalmist says in Psalm 145 verse 15, it says, The eyes of all wait upon thee, and thou givest them their meat in due season. In due season, see. I was still wrestling with the Word at this time, and the thought occurred to me that what I was experiencing may not even be about me. I mean, sure, I was in the hospital, but just maybe I was there for a reason of God's own choosing. Maybe I was placed there for, for someone else, or maybe many others, or maybe both myself and someone else, you know. Why would I think it all had to do with me? Well, of course, you originally are there because you have an issue, but, <laughs> you know, there may be more to it than that. And this changed my perspective a bit about the whole situation. And as I contemplated this, I began to think about all the people around me and how I could be a blessing to them. You know, hospitals are places where you receive heavy doses of reality. <laughs> Life is a gift from God. And He's given each of us opportunities to make our own choices in how we treat this gift, this gift of life. And depending upon how we treat it and the choices that we make, it will affect us forever. Well, at least until Jesus comes when sin and death will be destroyed forever. And so while there and waiting and, you know, Deb would come over each night and we start going for walks on the floor. I was really tired of being cooped up and wanted to get some fresh air, but they wouldn't let me leave the floor. It became a prison to me. But I vowed that I'd walk when I was able. And as I walked the halls in the hospital, I could see in very stark ways examples of the differing choices made by those who were in the same prison that I was in. And it didn't matter the age either. I mean, there were young people on that floor. There were old people on that floor. And I say that in relative to my age. <laughs> I mean, there weren't any children on the floor. but you know. And it's just the plain result of sin. And sin doesn't discriminate, does it? And all of us are affected by it, and ultimately it does lead to death. It can be devastating and depressing if we go it alone. And more so if we go it alone. The truth is that we don't have to go it alone. There is one who set the captives free. And he was beginning to open up my heart. He hadn't left me. 
I just wasn't to a point where I could hear him like I should. And it's amazing some of the things we convince ourselves is the truth about us. I believe in a way to shelter us, at least for a while, uh, from the reality of the gift and that we must make our choice. We kind of run from it. We can choose to live a lie, but what does that avail us, you know? (laughs) In the end, it's still a lie. Does it rescue us from the reality? No. Maybe for a while, but I found that God loves us too much to let us go down to death in such a way. Instead, usually we will receive a heavy dose of reality each one of us sometime in our life walk. And the realization of our own mortality is going to wash away the facade we built around us, friends. God will bring us face to face with the gift of life in Christ and how we react, how we will we react to it. And what are you going to say? What's going to be your answer? Jesus said in John 10, 10, He said, The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. You see, Jesus said that He brought us life and life more abundantly, so there is something better that we can experience. There is something to hope for. And I'll tell you, that's a gift I'm interested in experiencing. And the promise from God is that I can, you see. So one day, friends, sooner for some than others, our final choice will be made. Will it lead to an abundant life with Jesus or away from it? And as I contemplated the gift of God and His Son and my reaction to this gift, a change began to take place in my talks with the Lord. My prayers transitioned. And they went more toward the the thankfulness, the joys, the happiness that that I've experienced in my life due to His grace upon me. Psalm 3 and verse 4 says, I cried unto the Lord with my voice, and He heard me out of His holy hill. It's after a time of, of trembling, of deep searching and praying and heartfelt conversion, conversation I should say, with my Savior, there was a conversion. I felt a peace come over me that I had not felt in a very long time. I was assured that my Savior heard me and that He was with me. So I became content that whatever happens, whatever is found out about my condition, that I'm not alone. You see, because I cried and my God heard me. I would not let Him go till He blessed me. And He did. So I'd go on walks. Deb and I would walk around the halls and Sis came over a few times and we walked and they eventually let me off the floor. <laughs> we went and explored the hospital late one night and there's nobody around. <laughs> it's very strange. 
It's like you got the whole place to yourself. But I'd go on walks when I was physically able to. I'd actually become pretty weak by this time, and sometimes about all I could do was get up to go to the bathroom, and that would be a chore. Not to mention, you know, they had this IV in me, and they had a heart monitor on me uh, that I had to take everywhere I went, you know, like a ball and chain. That's what I called it, ball and chain. But I knew that I had to move to get stronger, and I knew that I could be a blessing to that hospital for in some way, so I would force myself up sometimes. And I found myself discreetly, as my purpose was to be unnoticed, uh, you see. And don't, you know, kind of don't let the right hand know what the left is doing sort of thing. Uh, I find myself uh, stopping for just a moment by each room uh, to say a prayer for that dear soul who is suffering. This is something that Jesus did. And I wanted to be like Jesus. In Matthew 14, 14, it says, And Jesus went forth, saw a great multitude, and was moved with compassion toward them, and He healed their sick. Now, the only reason I'm sharing this, this with you, I'm not the type of person to toot my own horn or anything like that, friends. I think you probably know me better than that. But I want to encourage you that no matter what condition we may find ourselves in, health, issue, whatever it may be, we can always be a blessing to someone else. And when you have Jesus in the heart, you cannot but be moved with compassion toward others, no matter what our own condition may be. So I would walk and I would pray. I'd talk to the nurses. I'd talk to the aides and even the housekeeper about the goodness of God and His love for us. The housekeeper came into my room each morning. Same housekeeper. She was from Africa. Had kind of a... She had a different accent. I don't know where in Africa, but it was it was almost French-like, sort of. But she'd come in every every morning, and we would have a spirited conversation most every every day. <laughs> she showed up one afternoon and asked if she could pray for me. And I said, sure. To which she laid her hands upon me and prayed for my well-being. What a blessing. There was a nurse named Emily that I suspected was making excuses to come and see me because she would ask me all sorts of questions. I mean, she, you know, when you're in there long enough, they have their routine. They come in, they check, they monitor, you see, they check your blood pressure, they check your temperature, all that stuff, they give you your pills, whatever, and then they're gone. But Emily would come in just <laughs> different ways, not just to monitor, I didn't think. And we'd get into conversations. Not all spiritual, but many of them were. She'd ask questions and stuff. I learned the right time to speak a word in season and when not to. Now, I've learned that over the years, but kind of, Lord was kind of perfecting me then. You, you, the, the Holy Spirit helps you to know when to speak, when not to speak. 
I think many people would be surprised, really, at how many of the doctors, nurses, and aides have a strong faith in God. I mean, that was my experience as I spoke to them about the Savior when having opportunity to do so. Many of them are, are quite, quite faithful people. And I remember Dr. Weinstein, she had said to Deb and I that, that there was not one doctor in that hospital that was in their profession for the money. And she was very serious about that. She said they really care for people. And many are still paying off their schooling. And, and these doctors are my age or older. That'll tell you how much they pay for their schooling. Well, how old am I? You know how old I am. <laughs> yeah. Now, the big concern at this time was no longer my blood pressure as as they had come up with, you know, a drug combination that brought that into a good range. and and uh, Nor was it my kidneys, but it was my chest. They had done some tests upon that fluid, you know, that Dr. Abujadi had removed. That it seems that they got to it uh, too late to do other tests because it had been submitted on Friday. And, of course, you know, the lab was mostly closed on the weekend. And along with this issue was the fact that they were unsure if the fluid was still accumulating in my chest. Another big concern. So for the next three days, they took several chest x-rays, they took a couple more uh, CT scans in the hope that they could see what was going on. And after the first couple of chest x-rays, they decided that there was still too much fluid to determine anything. And So that's when Dr. Hassan came into my room. He's a partner, you could say, I think, with Dr. Abujadi. Um, and he visited me to tell me that they would be doing another thoracentesis. That's the official description for draining fluid from the chest, I guess. <laughs> and I wasn't looking forward to that. This time there was a lot of pain involved. Dr. Hassan wanted to remove all the fluid, which would leave me with a collapsed lung. And I already had a collapsed lung, but when the rest of it's filled with fluid, I guess you get a sense of stability. <laughs> now, I respect doctors. I really do, and I respect Dr. Hassan, but I had a hard time liking him during this. <laughs> the pain was immense. And it got to a point that I could barely breathe, which forced him to stop. I spent several hours exhaustively trying to breathe. And they had to give me shots of pain medication just to relax my chest enough to breathe. It's not a nice experience, to say the least. Job 14.22 says, But his flesh... Upon him shall have pain, and his soul within him shall mourn. <laughs> and I'm telling you, I was in a lot of pain. This time they drew over two and a half liters of the same colored fluid from my chest. And Dr. Hassan told me there was still more fluid. I was amazed. 
How could there be so much fluid in my chest? It's remarkable. That's almost a that's a gallon. That's what four liters altogether, and there's still more. And they sent this fluid to the lab with the hope that we'll get some answers. That's always the hope, isn't it? We want answers to our questions. The next day I was visited by another specialist, an oncologist. They called Dr. Glenn. Now Dr. Glenn, he's Greek. And his last name is so hard to pronounce that they call him by his first name, and that's how he introduces himself. He doesn't even mention his last name. Dr. Glenn. <laughs> I'm glad of that. But I was unsure why he was visiting me, as I'd never met him. But he said that Dr. Hassan had contacted him about the fluid, and he was very interested in it because, again, it was very uncommon, this fluid. And so he would be running all these tests on it and monitoring the results. He said early tests showed some lymphocytes, but no cancer cells, though he couldn't rule that out as yet. Wow. You know, in the back of my mind, I wondered how long it would be before the big C word would come into play. And now here it was. It's always there, isn't it? And you get in a situation like that, you're always, that's, that's the biggie. That's the big gun. Cancer. But I knew that Jesus was with me. No matter the outcome, I was content content to do His will. I wanted to be an example of Him to all the people around me, you see. So I listened to Dr. Glenn tell me about what they hoped for in the tests, and I thanked him for his work in helping people like me. Spiritually speaking, I, I was at peace. I mean, I was thankful to be alive. <laughs> and though there were some reservations concerning my health issues and what lay ahead, I was thankful that the Lord and His angels were around me. As Paul tells us in Colossians 3.15, And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. A day or two before I was discharged the first time, I met Dr. Kadra, who is my current doctor. And I really like this guy. He's a super guy, I'm telling you. He's just so upbeat. He's positive all the time. And, I mean, he's in, my understanding, he's in with Dr. Abu Jadi and Dr. Hassan. But he took on my case. And it's interesting how things kind of find their own way. You know, my dad would always say, and I don't know why (laughs) dad got in the habit of saying this, but it always made the point at the time. But he would always say that water finds its own level. That was just a saying he always had. (laughs) Water finds its own level. Yeah, <laughs> it does. And, and I was reminded of that in, in all of this, that Dad was right. 
water finds its own level. And Deb and I were talking about it, and we could see how God led us to the right place and the right people and brought us to the right doctor. Because remember, at one time I had five specialists coming in to see me. Now I've got one, Dr. Codron. And he's the right one. Psalms 18, verse 31 says, For who is God save the Lord? Or who is a rock save our God? It is God that girdeth me with strength and maketh my way perfect. He maketh my feet like hinds feet and setteth me upon high places. See, God was leading. And He led us to where we needed to be and who we needed to see. So after another chest x-ray, another CT scan, Dr. Codra came in to see me and he made me a proposal. He said that they just couldn't see enough from these tests to determine anything and it was, it was rather pointless to continue to, to have x-rays and scans when you can't see anything from them. So he suggested that he do a procedure where they would insert a camera into the lining of my lung. They would make a slit in my rib, cut through into my chest, put this camera into the lining of my lung and actually see what was going on. And while they were there, they would take a biopsy of my lung. They would drain the rest of the fluid as well. Now, he told me it was a simple procedure, really, that wouldn't take long, and I would not be put completely under like you normally would be in, a, you know, in an operation. He assured me that this would definitely give us answers, so I agreed. And the date was set for the following Monday morning. He then said there was no reason to keep me in the hospital over the weekend, so the very next day, Friday, I'd been there over a week, I was discharged. It was kind of odd being discharged from the hospital after being in there a week. It's like a whole week of your life is missing. Things have changed just in a week's time, you know. But I wanted some rest. Strange, all I did in the hospital was wait, but I wanted some rest. I wanted to get away. In Mark 6 and verse 31... Jesus said, Come ye yourselves apart into a desert place and rest a while. So after spending over a week in the hospital, I wanted to be somewhere else with my wife, not just at home. Home was better than the hospital, don't get me wrong, friends. But it may be my last chance to get away for even a few hours and be alone with her, even though I was weak and not in very good shape at the time. And by God's grace, I believe, I was able to book a room at Turkey Run Inn for the night, and then a room the next night at Abe Martin Inn in Brown County State Park. And these are two of uh, our most favorite places in the world. And to find a room at both places in such short notice is really a miracle. It doesn't happen. We love these lodges. I mean, we, we go to them and we relax next to the fireplace. It just kind of restores us, recreates us. 
And we were excited by that. Expectations were high, but physically I was just too weak to do much. And it pained me that I couldn't be the blessing to, to Deb that I wanted to be. I guess I just wanted a break from what I was going through. Some kind of special break from even the norm, even if I couldn't do anything but sort of recharge myself for, you know, what lay ahead, which still was yet unknown. You see, the bottom line, friends, was that on Monday or Tuesday, we would have an answer. And it could be bad, or it could be good. And that weighs heavy on you. We spent the weekend just kind of relaxing and reading and hanging out. I look back at, I believe it's just what I needed, and I hope she can say the same thing. You don't have to right now. Though I was beginning to dread what was coming, I was preparing myself for the worst and hoping for the best. I mean, that's what we do, isn't it? I kind of I kind of took on Job's Job's position. In Job 13:50 he said, "Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him." The day the procedure came all too soon. But I determined that no matter what the result or what the Lord had in store for me, I trusted him completely. All I want to do is His will for me. So with some hesitation, I mean, I just don't like being put under, you know. (laughs) My wife took me to the hospital and they prepared me for the chloroscopy, is what they called it. Dr. Codra had told me that he was the only one in town that did the procedure. And I found out just recently that the first one ever done was in 2007. So it's still relatively new to the profession. And it's really always amazed me how quickly such a procedure can go. They basically put you into a nap, is what they do. They do the procedure and then they wake you up. To you it's been just a moment... But in reality, it's been, you know, much longer, of course. So my daughter met us at the hospital. And I was thankful that both my girls were there to keep me calm. And I want to say here that the... Very seriously, friends. The strongest bond that I've ever experienced is the bond of family. Maybe we all can say that. If you've had that experience. Maybe some of you haven't. If you haven't had it on earth here, you can experience it with God's family. My family was there for me. Still are. My wife and kids are who I am. They're what I need and they were there for me. And there really is nothing like it. And, and it is a great example. Probably the greatest example to all of us of the love of God. 
Paul talks about it really in Ephesians 3. Verse 14, he says, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is, is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man. This is part of becoming, he's talking about, a member of the family of God. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Paul's description being a member of the family of God. I believe that we're bound to God in ways that we do not completely comprehend at this time. God created us to increase His family. Did you know that? Much like we experience when we have children. We increase our family. And I love that. I love that about God. We can experience it, see. It's real to us. It's not some theory. And I'm not just talking about my immediate family. Though, I mean, the case may be, I have an immediate family. Some people don't. (laughs) But I'm not just talking about that. I've come to realize that I belong to an incredibly large family in this world. I have church family. I have friends who are praying for me. People I've never met care enough to say a word or two to God for me, a hick in Indiana. That melts my heart. I'm so thankful. I'm thankful for the prayers and the the cards, the words of encouragement I receive every day. I'm thankful for the scriptures that are shared with me. The food prepared. People take time to do that because they care. The notes of endearment I receive. I'm so thankful for the visits. Hospitals are lonely places. The basket of love I received. That was tremendous. And it's fun to see what people decide to bring you, you know. (laughs) The laying on of hands. That's special. And praying over me. I'm thankful that a dear sister thought so much as to send me a journal to use in recording my experience. That takes thought. Somebody cares. And as Paul said, I bow my knees to God in thankfulness to be a part of such a loving family. Nothing like it in all the world. So I'm prepped, I'm sitting and actually laying on my side in the room, ready for the procedure, you know, freezing to death. They kept putting blankets on me. (laughs) I kept saying, I am freezing. That's another thing about a hospital. I think they keep it like 60 degrees in them places. And they said that I was going to feel relaxed and warm for a few moments. And I knew that she was putting me to sleep. And you try to fight it a bit. At least I do. 
you know, because I don't like it. And I thought that I'd done a good job of it too until I noticed my wife and daughter in the room. I thought to myself, when did they come in the room? <laughs> About that time, Dr. Codder was patting me on the shoulder, telling me that I did a very good job and everything went well. I was like, really? Are you kidding me? It was over? No way. The nurse was just telling me that I'd feel relaxed. And then Deb and Andrea were in the room. It's amazing how that happens. I'm still kind of in awe about that. I'm like, that's not right. Dr. Codra said, everything went well. He took some biopsy, drained the rest of the fluid. They put a chest tube in. And the idea was that I'd spend the night in the hospital so they could monitor my chest tube. So they took me back up to the third floor, put me in a room directly diagonal from the room I'd been the previous week, clear across the, the floor. And it turns out I spent another week there as they did a couple more chest x-rays, another CT scan as well. In the coming days, we began to receive test results that, that were positive. It turns out, friends, that, that I have what they have found, that I have asbestos in my lungs, but it is benign right now. And somehow, this asbestos became irritated and inflamed my right lung, which produced all the fluid that eventually collapsed my lung. And it took a couple of days, but the chest tube sealed and, and my lung began to inflate. So they removed the tube and they discharged me. And the hope is that the fluid does not return. And I'm scheduled for another scan in a few weeks to see. In the meantime, test results keep coming in on the fluid that they had taken. And so far we know that there is no cancer. And I praise God for that. And there are uh, no fungicides in the asbestos. And I praise God for that because that's a, that's a big hurdle too. They said those were two very big concerns. I'm very relieved to have, have such good news. Now I do have a long way to go physically. I still have my kidneys that I have to, to deal with and see what's up with that. And, and that's a very, very real concern. And, and I appreciate your prayers for me in that regard. But I know that God is in control. And whatever happens... It is as He wants it. And I'm okay with that. The best place we can be, friends, is where God wants us to be. And ultimately, He wants us in His will, in His life, and in His family. And I want to tell you, I'll just wrap it up here. What I, what I needed in this experience was not so much a physical healing, though I really do want that. I realized that I needed to be spiritually healed. And this I found. 
The psalmist says in Psalms 30 verse 2, O Lord my God, I cried unto Thee, and Thou hast healed me. And I can echo these words today, friends. God does want us to be in good health. Good physical health, but more importantly, He wants us to be His. And I want you to know, my friends, that God loves you with an everlasting love that does not end. He loves you no matter your mistakes. He loves you every moment of every day. He loves you and wants you to be with Him for the rest of eternity. And the question you have to come to grips with and you need to answer for God is what will you do with the gift of life He has given freely to you? What decision will you make? And as I close, I want you to please take careful consideration of these words from Paul. Romans 8 38, for I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul covers everything there. You can't. And death. My my counsel, my encouragement to you is be persuaded. Be persuaded. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you so very, very much for your wonderful love towards us. You sent all heaven in Jesus so that we may have life. We thank you, Lord. We thank you that you love us with an undying love. You freely forgive. Freely. You offer us salvation freely. There's nothing that can separate your love from us. So why do we stumble? Why do we wait? Father, I pray for those souls who are in the valley of decision. We each will have to make the decision. What will we do with your son? How can we refuse such love? Please be with these dear people. Walk with them. Keep them safe. Heal them. Convince them that you have their best interest at heart. That you are indeed love. Please continue to bless us this day. And Lord, I am so very thankful, you know I am, that you're by my side. 
I'm thankful that I have so many friends and family and people praying for me because they care. Bless them, Lord. I pray in Jesus' name.